This podcast is intended for a mature audience over 19 years of age and is provided on an educational and informational basis. Any material presented is for informational purposes only and should not be taken as a substitute for professional medical advice or as an endorsement or medical claim by Patterson Media, Everything Podcasts, or any advertiser. You were sentenced to life without parole for possession of marijuana? Yeah, that's what I'm doing. Any questions? Today on the Canadian Podcast, how do you market a product that isn't legal everywhere and is regulated by a patchwork of laws even where it is legal? If they have cannabis content of any sort, you don't really know when it's going to happen or how it's going to happen. Sometimes you'll get a warning. Sometimes you won't get anything. Your page just won't be there anymore. We'll talk to someone who works in cannabis marketing and social media about navigating that regulatory minefield and the stigma associated with working with weed. And then if you're in need of spiritual cleansing, we'll tell you the legend of the Chinese hemp goddess Magu. This mountainous region is known for temples. And the mountains also happens to be where all the cannabis was grown for thousands of years. There's this area of the mountain, they said this is the stone where she brewed her elixir of life. But before all that, we go to our Toronto bureau for the latest pot news with Jay Coburn. With the latest pot news, I'm Jay Coburn. Potency testing by a UBC professor on store-bought cannabis flour has found that the labels inaccurately inflate the level of THC content. Rob O'Brien is also CEO of Super Research, and he found that all of the 46 samples that he bought from stores in British Columbia had THC levels between 9 and 48% lower than indicated. Professor O'Brien has made a complaint to BC Cannabis and Health Canada, but says that THC content shouldn't be the key indicator of quality. Germany is scaling back its plans for the legalization of recreational cannabis. Adults there will be able to grow and consume recreational cannabis privately or through non-profit members clubs by the end of the year. This is instead of the original plan to make it available in pharmacies and stores. That's the first phase. The second phase will allow specialist shops in some municipalities across Germany to sell recreational cannabis as part of a pilot program. Back in Canada, Mississauga is reconsidering its ban on pot shops. It's currently the largest municipality in Ontario without a place to buy legal cannabis. Mississauga has spent the past several years advocating for more municipal control over the location of stores, but City Councillor Dipika Damala says it's become clear that's not going to happen. That's the Pot News. I'm Jay Coburn. Back to you, Don. All right, so how do we market weed? In a legal way, I mean. My name is Brittany Parker. I am the founder of A Green Legacy. It is a cannabis agency that focuses on marketing, PR, and also sales and partnerships. So we do quite a bit of influencer marketing. That's actually one of the big pieces that we're focusing on this year. Our producer, Karen Habashi, is going to talk to Brittany about the pitfalls of marketing a product that is legal in some U.S. states and illegal in others with a federal ban still on the books. The regulations are a patchwork. Even here in Canada, they differ from province to province. So I need to do my own disclaimer here. Just like everything else in this show, everything you hear Brittany say is not legal nor medical advice. You get what I'm saying, right? 
There's a lot to deal with when we work in cannabis. And the first of those things is just telling people that you work in cannabis. I still experience a good amount of stigma. Now, my mom has probably been the harshest, (laughs) the hardest critic. For me, it's one of those things where I've never necessarily been the type of person who cares a lot about what other people think about what I do or how I do it or who I am, like a contrarian in some ways. (laughs) But I will say that entering into the cannabis industry, I didn't talk about my cannabis usage at all when I was a teacher. When I moved into tech, didn't really talk about it much at all. I talked about it a little bit more than I did when I was a teacher. But one thing that I was always nervous about was I don't want people at my job to think I can't do the work or that if I miss a deadline or if something goes wrong, that it's because I'm some stoner in like a negative context. And that's what it is. And so didn't really talk about it then. Once I entered into the cannabis industry, though, and I started working at Leafly, conversations around drugs in general was so much more open. Talking about cannabis, obviously, every day, all the time. One of my coworkers would bring around a tray of pre-rolls every Friday for all of us. So it made just talking about cannabis a lot more normal for me. When it came to my family, I didn't tell them that I partook in weed or any of those things. I didn't tell them about it until I started working at Leafly. The first thing that my mom said was, Brittany, why would you want to do that? I'm from Tennessee. She's a very Southern woman. (laughs) She was like, why would you want to do that? Is everything that they're doing legal? And eventually she was just so exasperated. I had just gotten the job. I had just been sent the email. And I think to her, it was very clear that there was nothing that she could say that was going to stop me doing that. And so even though I've been in cannabis now for years, there's still many times I just won't tell my mom about certain things, but I do try to re-educate as much as I can. I've also had to get to the point of understanding that she's the product of 10 decades of anti-cannabis propaganda. Our family, Black family, has been impacted by cannabis prohibition intensely. I have uncles, heard siblings, cousins, people throughout our family who have been incarcerated for years upon years upon years around petty cannabis offenses. And so me having to come to that realization for myself and saying like, Brittany, you have to understand that this is somebody who has gone through all of these generations of propaganda, but then has also been intimately impacted by prohibition, by propaganda related to this prohibition or that's led to this prohibition. That's actually what I'm up against. Let's talk about your business. So you work with cannabis marketing and social media and brands and stuff like that. So when you advise someone or when you're posting something, what are the 
things that you consider before posting because of the old regulations about advertising about cannabis or talking about cannabis and so on. In the U.S., the FDA is usually who is slapping hands. Sometimes, like in Washington, we have the Liquor Cannabis Board. Obviously, every state has some sort of oversight board. When we're posting content, we're definitely making sure that that content is not making any claims, medical claims, because we can't do that. We can't talk about it in the context of disease prevention, but we can do things like saying it may help with sleep or it may help with stress. We can say those sorts of things. So we definitely have to be creative with language. What I found is that I have some clients that are brands. I have some clients that are producers, processors. I have some that are even dispensary owners. And so what I've definitely found is that some of the larger companies are a lot less afraid of being fined by the FDA. So they feel there's a little bit more flexibility in what they say because they're like, okay, well, if we get slapped with this fine, we know that we can pay for it. But most companies are not in that position. I mean, it's really easy pages like on Instagram to be removed if they have cannabis content of any sort. You don't really know when it's going to happen or how it's going to happen. Sometimes you'll get a warning. Sometimes you won't get anything and your page just won't be there anymore. So we do have to deal with that. TikTok is something that I honestly feel like TikTok is probably one of the best social media platforms right now for businesses, but it is not great for cannabis businesses at all. They play no games about taking your profile down. It's almost impossible to get it back. I still haven't met anyone who has had a TikTok profile removed and they've actually gotten it back. So that's an area that not only a, a cannabis creator, but then also as someone who is a cannabis consultant and agency that we stay away from completely as it relates to cannabis clients. But what I will say is that LinkedIn is amazing, especially if you are a cannabis B2B business. Reddit is amazing, especially if you're trying to look to Reddit for research and development. Pinterest is an amazing, amazing cannabis-friendly platform. All three of them are platforms that are more mainstream and our customers are there, but a lot of our competitors aren't. And so between LinkedIn, Reddit, and Pinterest, those are just untapped social media platforms that a lot of companies are struggling to understand how to use. But then also there's still this idea that Instagram is like where everyone has to be and they always have to have a consistent presence. Still gets that level of notoriety. Does YouTube allow cannabis marketing and cannabis like influencing and so on? They do allow cannabis influencing. You do still have to be fairly careful, but there's definitely not nearly as many restrictions around it. You can't do like paid ads on YouTube. 
but you can absolutely build out your cannabis channel. You can do cannabis shorts within YouTube. A lot of you asked us if identifying VSCs in cannabis can help us breed out its skunky aroma. And the answer is... Some people who especially just want to be cautious, sometimes they'll talk about cannabis, but they won't actually show uh, flower. They won't show smoking in any way, just to be careful. And I think that's completely acceptable because your audience will know what you're talking about. When it comes to YouTube, there's a lot of opportunity there, but it does take time to build. Then when you have LinkedIn, when you have Reddit, when you have Pinterest, it doesn't take as much time to build. I do see a lot of cannabis influencers on Instagram, but they go through many hoops like the flower, they put a broccoli on it and the writing, for instance, instead of writing weed, it would be W33D, something like that. I do that. Yeah, right? So tell me about the hoops. If you want to post on Instagram, what you can, can do, what are the ways that you sneak around the regulations? Okay. Okay. So one thing is exactly what you're talking about. Do not spell out cannabis. Don't spell out weed or pot. Even using words like herb, I'll use that a lot. Or like herbal, I'll use that a lot. Even hashtag wise, I'll use herb, herbal, that sort of thing. You can definitely use broccoli. You can definitely use like the little smoke emojis. Emojis are your friends. There's a can emoji and I'll do like can, the letter A, and then the bus emoji. And so that people know what I'm talking about. So (laughs) there are ways that you can definitely get around it. Anytime that you show flower, anytime that you show yourself smoking, you're running a risk for your page to be pulled down. I will say, even when we think about LinkedIn, LinkedIn is very cannabis friendly, but there have been people who have had their pages pulled due to having actual flower displayed, showing themselves smoking, those sorts of things. And then also, if you are trying to sell flower and you are offering it on LinkedIn, your page is going to be gone. So be mindful of that. There are different regulations between Canada and the USA. Like if you have clients in Canada, those are different things. Do you have to read about what you can, can't post, what you can, can't say, and so on? Absolutely. You have to know the laws. Within the U.S., there are states where you you cannot do certain types of advertising. You can't do certain types of marketing. Even thinking about Massachusetts, for example, you can't have a shopping bag that has the logo of your cannabis company on it, especially if it like shows or depicts cannabis usage in any way, if it has a pot leaf on it, you basically have to put it in a black bag or a paper bag and you can't open it in the store after you've purchased it. Like you got to get it home. So every single state within the U.S., because cannabis isn't federally legal, every single state has its own set of marketing rules and regulations, has its own set of sales regulations. The good thing about Canada is that it's federally legalized. And so there's already a standardization that exists within Canada so that we don't have to deal with jumping through unique hoops in each province. That was Brittany Parker. 
founder of cannabis marketing agency, A Green Legacy. We tried multiple times to speak to someone from Meta who owns Instagram, but nobody responded. Uh, Just in case anyone from Meta or Google is listening and interested in sharing your side of the story, get in touch with us. In Shandong province lies the most eastern of China's sacred mountains, Mount Tai. Mount Tai is one of China's five great mountains, often considered the foremost of the five. Mount Tai has been a holy site for over 3,000 years. It holds a special place in Chinese spirituality, signifying the rising sun, birth, and renewal. Wide stone steps cut a path up the mountain, with sheer rock on either side. 6,660 steps through 11 gates, 14 archways, and four pavilions. It takes two to three hours to climb. Mount Tai connects heaven and earth. It's the path to the gods. And so there are 22 temples, nearly 100 ruins, and thousands of religious artifacts and inscriptions. Today, we're starting with one of them, a white stone statue on top of a rock next to a clear blue pond. The statue shows a woman holding some food accompanied by a deer. This woman, this goddess, is called Magu. Magu is the Chinese hemp goddess. Ma is cannabis, so that is the Chinese character for hemp. And Gu is like maiden or aunt. We need a friend to help tell the story of Magu, so we called Christina Wong. I am the co-host of Mogu Magu, an AAPI culture, food, and cannabis collective. Magu is comprised of two characters, and if you look at those characters, it looks like two cannabis plants hanging underneath a roof from a Bronze Age pictograph that shows the little house with the two plants, and it looks like plants hanging underneath a roof. So seeing that character, it's very clear she is the hemp goddess. Magu is known as the goddess of longevity, and the food she holds in her hand, a life-giving elixir. She appears in Korean and Japanese mythologies too, but it's in China where her story has been best preserved. In Chinese, she's often depicted as this beautiful young woman with long hair up in a bun and these long fingernails. She's described with long bird-like fingernails. In painting, she's wearing this shawl or an apron with leaves, and she's always carrying a basket with peaches and plants and fungus or a container of fungus wine, so mushroom wines, all these foods that she foraged from Mount Tai. And so all of these foods and all of these things were believed to promote longevity. And so her association with cannabis primarily comes from its use as a healing plant, because most of the stories that revolve around her are about how she helped the poor and the sick and gave them this elixir of life. So how did Magu become a goddess and earn her place in this most sacred mountain? The Chinese look at her more as she was a real woman who lived during the Han Dynasty. Of course, with any spiritual legend, there are lots of different stories of different eras, depending upon who's telling the story. Here's Christina's version. 
According to written texts, she was supposedly born during the Han Dynasty around 147 to 167. Supposedly, she lived many generations as a goddess and she came back and down and she came up into the celestial kitchens and back down in Mount Tai. And so the story of her as a young woman that elevated her into the status was as a young girl, she was given a peach by one of her clients. She was a seamstress and her father they raised horses. And so she came home and instead of bringing the peach home to share with her father, she saw an old woman who was hungry on the side of the road. And so she gave the woman that peach and promised her that she was going to go bring her some more food. So she went home to cook this old woman more food and then her father came home and became very angry and enraged that she was giving away their food to this old woman and locked her in her room. So she was unable to go back to that old woman and fulfill her promise. And so by the time she escaped and got back to the side of the road, the old woman was gone and all that was left was the peach stone. And so she took that peach stone and planted it in the village and nurtured it and grew it into a peach tree and then gave away the fruits freely to those in need. And so the tales then spread that her peaches were said to be healing and she became immortalized as this goddess possessing the elixir of life. That's just one story of Magu, the origin story. And you've heard our friend Christina Wong mention Magu's elixir of life. There's a story behind that, too. It goes like this. Magu was invited to join a dinner with a Confucian scholar who was visiting on the seventh day of the seventh month. And it was written and known that on the seventh day of the seventh month of the lunar calendar, that this was the day when cannabis was harvested. So, on the day the cannabis is harvested, Magu is invited to dinner. Mount Tai connects the heavens and the earth, and so she descended those long steps. And brought this amazing display of her fruits and peaches and foods from the celestial kitchens. And one of the items was an elixir that she made. And it was written that it was unfit for drinking by ordinary people. So she diluted the drink and shared it with the guests at this party, and everybody became intoxicated and wanted more. And so the stories grew that she brewed this elixir of life. And if you go to Mount Tai today, there appears to be some evidence for this story. This mountainous region is known for temples. And the mountains also happens to be where all the cannabis was grown for thousands of years. There's this area of the mountain. They said this is the stone where she brewed her elixir of life. But Christina says, despite this shrine, most Chinese people today are unlikely to know about Magu's connections to cannabis. And shrines to her outside of Mount Tai are pretty rare. There were a lot of different shrines and mountains and caves and places in nature that were named after Magu, but it was all wiped out during China's Cultural Revolution. So that's why we don't see very many traces of Magu and a lot of these deities now. Christina Wong is trying to change that, though. This is how we met Christina. She's Chinese-American and lives in Los Angeles. Christina writes about cannabis, food, drink, and culture. And in doing so, she came across Magu. I was just hanging out and smoking with a lot of the aunties and friends who consume cannabis. And we were just curious about our culture and our history. And 
Magu came up as a Chinese hemp goddess. And so we really started looking into it and became curious about who is Magu. Christina soon found herself looking at traditional Chinese paintings of Magu, where she is shown with long nails and her hair in a top knot. She's always this very beautiful young maiden. She's wearing these long robes that are made of hemp, and she's surrounded by animals. Like So the two animals that represent long life and longevity are a deer and a crane. So you see her often with these two creatures. For Christina, a Chinese-American woman working in the cannabis industry, finding this hemp goddess who could connect her to her culture in this way was a powerful thing. And so now we're trying to do the work to rediscover and uncover that again and retell the story from our own modern perspective and point of view and looking back at what did we think people thought about her and their use of cannabis. Some of the oldest recorded uses of cannabis in human history was in Asia. The history of cannabis in Asia might be long, but in recent years, it's been a lot harder to find. The global war on drugs combined with Mao's cultural revolution made sure of that. And so finding a Taoist goddess and deity that is dedicated to hemp and cannabis was really fascinating. And so it really took us on this journey to explore more because having this connection to our culture is really important. And understanding how cannabis was a deep part of our cultural history and medicine is important, and that's how we start to destigmatize the plant. Now, Christina is bringing Magu back to Chinese culture. She hosts events called Mogu Magu for Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders in the cannabis space. This really started with a group of AAPIs working in the cannabis industry, and we wanted to get together to celebrate our cultural holidays. So we started with Lunar New Year, we did a Mid-Autumn Moon Festival, and we brought cannabis, food, and culture together. If you're not hungry, you will be after this. The first event Christina hosted was a hot pot for Lunar New Year. So hot pot is a very traditional, it shows up as shabu shabu in different places, right? It's basically it's Asian fondue, if I had to make it very easy. So it's a pot of boiling broth. It can be flavored with spices or broth, or in my family, we just do it with plain hot water. And then we get different meats and vegetables and we dip them and you boil them and then eat them with dipping sauces. And that's something we eat during the cold weather and it's a good socializing activity. Of course, lots of those dipping sauces are infused with cannabis. So you can eat as much food as you like. It's just up to you how you season it. By putting this all together and creating a family meal and a scene and something that is so familiar to our culture and our heritage, but cannabis is a part of that. Christina says these events aren't about partying, though. It goes much deeper than that. It's about really coming together and healing and celebrating with cannabis to open up our minds, to work through a lot of our own histories and past traumas together. And it's really beautiful. And that's where I think the power of Magu, right? In bringing women together to talk, to celebrate. You know, longevity is a part of it, but longevity is also in wellness, in healing. And that's where I see Magu in modern history is how do we tap into her for inspiration as a way to heal ourselves? And with Magu, cannabis is an intrinsic part of that. 
She's the hemp goddess, the cannabis maiden after all, and one way to connect with her is to spread more stories. When we tell people about Magu for the first time, we start sharing her story. I see their eyes widen and like the gears in their brain starts turning and they're so fascinated by hearing about this because they're like, I had no idea. I had no idea that we had a hemp goddess, that this was a character, this was a person that was revered and celebrated in our culture. And so they become more curious and they go down this journey with us. I hope for the future of Magu and Mogu Magu that more people will use this as an opportunity to explore their curiosities and learn more about the history of cannabis in Asian cultures. Cannabis is something that has been used as plant medicine in our history for thousands of years, and it's been forgotten. It's been banished, but it's not dead. Cannabis is a weed. It will continue to grow. It will continue to persist. Whether Magu is a real person or not, for Christina, she demonstrates strength and resilience, like a tough piece of hemp rope. But she also shows kindness and compassion, like a healing elixir. I really love the story of her, of the woman in the peach, because it just shows how much compassion that she had and how we forget to care for people and to take care of each other in the village. And by her simple, small act of taking a peach stone and planting it and turning it into a tree, we can nurture, feed, and take care of everyone in our village. And especially today, I take that lesson or that parable and think about myself. In a modern day world, we are so focused on ourselves and our own needs, just like her father. How dare you give away what's ours to this person in need? And I'm reminded that we are a village, that we need to take care of each other. Christina Wong and her Mogu Magu Collective will continue their events. The next one is an art exhibition. They're building on that tradition of gorgeous paintings and bringing new modern depictions of Magu into the world. I hope you'll join us for the next episode of the Canadian Podcast. Hit the subscribe or follow button to make sure you do. And while you wait for the next episode, go to westernbuzz.ca. The Canadian Podcast is an everything podcast production in partnership with Patterson Media. The opinions expressed in this podcast are not necessarily the views of the podcast team or our partners. This show is intended for a 19-plus audience. Thanks to our team, creative director Cliff Dumas, showrunner Kevin Habashi, senior writer Jay Coburn, and our sound engineer is John Massacar. I'm Don Schaefer. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Canadian Podcast, the authority on cannabis in Canada. Another Everything Podcast production. Visit everythingpodcast.com. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.